When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. Everybody, welcome to Impact Theory. You are here, my friends, because you believe that human potential is nearly limitless, but you know that having potential is not the same as actually doing something with it. So our goal with this show and company is to introduce you to the people and ideas that will help you actually execute on your dreams. All right, today's guest is a former heart surgeon turned massive TV celebrity. When revolution broke out in Egypt in 2011, he and his friend launched a satirical YouTube show that brazenly mocked the powers that be, saying outrageous stuff that had never been seen on Egyptian TV before. The show touched on an explosive nerve and became an overnight sensation, getting five million views in just the first three months. Television offers started pouring in, and suddenly this heart surgeon found himself wildly famous and center stage during one of the most violent and tumultuous times in his country's recent history. His newly minted TV show, named simply The Show, was a bona fide cultural phenomenon, becoming the most watched show in Egyptian television history with 30 to 40 million viewers per episode. His social following ballooned up to over 15 million people and he couldn't walk through a crowd without getting mobbed. But the government that formed in the wake of the revolution wasn't exactly a democracy. And as he said, can you imagine trying to have a political satire show in the time of Mussolini? Well, that was exactly what he was doing, and the pressure began to mount. In 2013, at about the same time that Time magazine named him one of the world's most influential pioneers, a warrant was issued for his arrest. His detractors began burning his photo and calling for his death, yes, death, but armed with cojones the size of the pyramids of Giza, he continued to produce his show until it became so dangerous he couldn't get a station to carry it anymore, and he began to fear not just for his own safety, but for the safety of those around him. Eventually things got so bad that with only four hours to pack and catch a flight, he had to flee the country. I have come across few stories that have inspired me more than this, so please help me in welcoming the subject of the documentary Tickling Giants, and the author of Revolution for Dummies, the man who proved a joke truly can be more powerful than a gun, the John Stewart of Egypt himself, Bassem Youssef. What an intro, I should come here every day. <laughs> and you, like, and you've welcome. got like live audience, like, I mean, thank you for, for having me and uh, I really appreciate that you inspire, got inspired by my story, but like, what are the other few stories that got you inspired more than mine? Um, I feel jealous already. You know what's interesting? It's just like we started on the wrong foot. It's horrible. <laughs> no, I, I like it. Let's, let's go down the path. Who inspired me more? Uh, that, would be, that would be a tough order to answer, in seriousness. And so the way that you and I met was weird. So I don't know how it was for you, but I got invited to this random party with a really like bizarre um, invitation, which was meant to build like all this mystery and it had my curiosity peak. So I go and I show up. Now in this party, we're not allowed to say who we are. So no one knows anybody's name and you happen to be first. And yeah. so we go around, we guess what we think each person does. And I said, I think you're a famous like hair salon like stylist which you were mortified by because like i have horrible hair which i'll disagree with that but um and then you said who you were yes and i freaked out because i had seen the trailer for tickling giants mm -hmm. and i remember watching that documentary going this guy has a death wish like it was it was scary from 
this country from all the safety in the world to watch somebody do such an aggressively satirical show in the time of Mussolini, as you said. Whoa. Give us a bit of the history. Like, normally I don't do the, like, what's the setup, but I think it's actually pretty important for people to understand what the time was like and what you were doing. Well, I mean, it just, I, as you said, I was a heart surgeon. I was getting ready to go to Cleveland. And uh, because I got a pediatric heart surgery fellowship there, and the revolution started, and I, like many doctors, I just went to the streets of Cairo to fix people's wounds because I had a very terrible aim. So instead of throwing stones, I just like fixed the wounds that they would uh, inflict. And um, uh, the revolution ended, uh, Mubarak stepped down, and uh, our dictator for 30 years, which is known in the Middle East as the very short first term. And uh, I, me and my friend, we were, uh, contemplating about creating a YouTube original content. Mm. And I was there as his guinea pig because I was his friend and I wouldn't charge him money. And, uh, <laughs> and, and then when the revolution comes, kind of the opportunity presented itself. So I mm. thought, all right, you know what, I'm just waiting for the visa papers to come. And uh, I'm just going to do the show uh, on YouTube from the laundry room of my home. And I did that. And I was just like, you know, it's just like a trial. And then I'm going to go and maybe I couple of years later, some producer will, will discover that uh, content on YouTube. And then, as you said, five million people in three months. And I, and I know that now when you say five million, I mean, my cat gets five million uh, views. But at that time, 2011, with no uh, precedent of having uh, original Arabic content on YouTube, that was unprecedented. Mm. Uh, and before I know it, every single network wanted to get me on their um, airwaves. And, um, and today I was signing the papers of a TV deal. The visas from the visa papers from Cleveland arrived, mm. and here I was. I had the choice to do it, and uh, and because I come from a, a very traditional Middle Eastern family, my mom uh, uh, didn't mind at all that I would stay, because you know all the mothers of the Middle East would keep mm. their uh, enemies close and their children closer. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, their friends close and the children closer, and they wanted us. Uh, she didn't mind at all that I would stay. And, um, and I did, and uh, for the first uh, season, it was a very small pre-recorded show. Uh, and we did very well, but I wanted to go further. I wanted to do the John Stewart experience. I wanted to do the, the live audience. And this is yet another thing that was not being done in the Arabic media. I mean, nobody here is like, what, you're gonna do live audience? Mm. And, and they will have to laugh on your, are, are you gonna rent them? Just, no, are you gonna pay them? No, they have to laugh. Like, what about, what if they didn't laugh? It's like, well, we have to write better jokes. Right. And the whole, and everybody was putting us down. It's like, oh my God, this is too expensive. You're not gonna get any money for that. No, no, you know, even if you got all the sponsors in the market, you're not gonna have like enough money to cover the budget. And I said like, well, if you create good content, people will come. Right. And we did it, and we, we ended up having 30, 40 million people watching us. And uh, at that time, that was the rise of the Muslim Brotherhood, the Islamist government. Really fast, what percentage of the population is 40 million? Uh, like 40%. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, there were like, I, 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 people would send me videos of their two years old watching, mm. three years old watching, playing my songs. And uh, it, it, it's just incredible. And um, In the documentary Tickling Giants, they show some of the viewing parties. Oh, yeah. And it was like... It was Super Bowl every Friday. Yeah, it, it was, was crazy. Yeah. Like so many people gathered around, indoors, outdoors, just like everywhere. And there's actually one Friday there was clashes in the streets between the security uh, forces and uh, some of the protesters. And then when the show came, they stopped. They sat on the coffee shop next door, Whoa. watched the show, then continued killing each other, which is like <laughs> freaking amazing. And like I just, people were sending me these videos, and I was, wow. I was like, this is this is like, uh, this <laughs> this is really surreal. Um, and so everybody was watching it, and then the Islamists came, and of course, um, they didn't like what I have to say about them. And fast forward a year later, they were uh, toppled by the military, and then now, and I was considered a national hero because I'm the one who stood against the Muslim Brotherhood. Right. And then I, I had my show, and I made one episode making fun of the military. That was enough to take me off the air. And the people who liked me yesterday hated my guts today. Right. Even, part, even members of my family disowned me, basically. And... Um, Consider me as a traitor and a secret operative, of course. And uh, and then uh, I, I found another channel, and then they uh, I started getting more harassed even more, and uh, my my show got um, uh, 
like these, the satellite signal got jammed a couple of mm. times. And then pressure on the channel stopped. Couldn't find any channel to carry the show. Everybody was scared. And then lawsuits starting like coming in and they just like, I was, uh, and the lawsuits that like against me, they, they were like all like ridiculous. But it was just like a way of the, the, the regime to get you. And uh, the, then, then there was a verdict against me so at 12 noon, five o'clock I was on a plane and I left the country. Wow. So that is the, uh, the not so concise uh, story. Well, I mean, mm -hmm. compared to the detail that you go in the book, which by the way is amazing, um, it does an amazing job of walking you through the story. And I want to pick apart some of the things because I know sort of where they go in the book. Like, um, when you have the choice to go to Cleveland, which you've been trying to get to for years, you wanted to get out of Egypt, I'm guessing because you didn't like the political climate. No, I didn't like the um, medical climate. I, at that time, I was not politically, mm. um, I, was not, I'm not a, I was not a politically active person. And this is what happens to you when you're under the same dictator for 30 years. You just give up. Right. You just like focus on your career. And I, I wanted to, because I wanted to have a better life, a better practice. And uh, this is why I wanted to go. So finally that comes, and now you've got the uprising, mm -hmm. which at the time I'm sure feels truly like a revolution. You've maybe had different thoughts about what it takes to really be a revolution since then, but what was it, which seems like a time of wild instability, maybe the perfect time to leave, um, what made you decide to stay other than your mom, which I'm sure was real? Well, uh, I mean, when the revolution happened, there was like this like window between the, the papers arriving and and the revolution, and this is where I started the YouTube videos. Mm. And what made me stay is like, well, TV, hmm, why not? And was it at all like the sense that I could be a meaningful voice, or was it just, I know I'm gonna be good at this, I'm gonna love it? I had no idea what I was doing. We were reverse engineering everything that we would see on American um, comedy shows. Colbert, Stewart, and we were trying to, how do they do that? I, I, I thought I would last one season. Mm. This was like a case of if you're trying to build a Ferrari in a place where there was no uh, highways and no factory to give you the, element, the primary elements of the car. Right. Because it, it was like a, like a totally um, a virgin scene. Nobody know, knew what was happening. Right. We hired people who were supposedly were the best at their field and we fired them after eight weeks because that was not the kind of job work that we wanted. You like, burned like through three technical crews, right? Just oh, trying yeah, to yeah. get them to figure this stuff out. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I mean, I just went to, I got people who had absolutely no experience in media. The only thing that they had was passion. They had a passion to do this. And we just like, we learned together. Mm. Like I was like on top of the pyramid of that learning process. I was learning, they were learning, we were learning together. It was a, a trial and er error. And uh, we, 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 we just like, we were scrambling. I mean, now if you do a, a show here, you have an industry, right. you have a basics, you know, who's the showrunner you're gonna get? You know, who are the producer you can, with the experience? At that, there was no experience. There was no showrunners. There was nothing, that, nobody we can go in and tell them, we are going to do a political satire show in front of a real life audience. Right. What gave you the, the passion and the energy to, and, and I'll break that into two parts. At first, just to pull the show off, and then second, when people are actually threatening to kill you in a place where people actually get killed. Well, at the beginning, uh, when I did this YouTube uh, videos, I really didn't think that this would go anywhere. I mm. was just trying it. Right. I was just trying. It's like, you know what, this is the weekend. I have like hospital <laughs> shifts. All the whole week, uh, the whole week, I come on the weekend, I do, uh, and I shoot the video at my home. And that's it. I didn't really think. When it got serious, I was like, hmm, <laughs> no, no, I'm going to get, the, and now I'm getting paid for this. Right. <laughs> I better be good. And um, uh, so, and, and then you, got, you, you just get locked in. And you, you just have to up your game every single time. When it, things got ugly and it was more of uh, it, it was more of a threatening situation, I have to to be honest with you, I didn't know what made me going until I saw the movie Tickling Giants mm. because I didn't I had no idea what was going on with this movie because there was an agreement that with Sarah Taxler, who was the director of the of Tickling Giants and who was a senior producer of the Daily Show, she followed me for four years and the agreement was 
that I will have no creative control. I am just the subject of the movie. Right. Like any endangered species, a panda or a beluga whale. <laughs> and um, I was there uh, and I watched the movie for the first time ever with the general audience in the Tribeca Film Festival mm. last year in New York. Wow. I went in, didn't know what to expect. And I told Sarah as I went in, did you make me look good? <laughs> because this is what I'm leaving back for my family. Right, yeah. And uh, I said, like, don't worry. I was like, I hope you like it. So I went in and I, and, I, and I saw those scenes of me with my team celebrating a birthday, one of the crew and mm. writing and doing all of stuff. And there are like riots outside and people threatening to kill me and the crew and whatever. Literally during the birthday party. Yeah, that yeah. was so weird. Yeah. And it's just like, it was like, and I was like, ah, oh, so funny. And, I, and I discovered like... Which, by the way, is actually what he says yeah. in that moment in the documentary. Trying to have a birthday party over here. They, in the same shot, walk over to the window, look out. A mass of people out there threatening, threatening, threatening. Turns away from the window and goes, so funny. <laughs> and, and, I, and, I, and now I'm looking at these scenes. And, I, it, it, it came, and now it comes to me. I, I chose to, be, to detach myself from this kind of reality. Mm. Because the, I was worried more about doing a bad show than having something bad happening to me. Wow, that's because, really because interesting. The, because we were just like, all right, we have to get the, these ratings. We have to get people. We have to write the best jokes. We have mm. to be. The, it's like it seems that I was worried about the backlash of Twitter not liking my show than being actually killed, and um, social media, baby. So I was, uh, I, I was, I was actually so into. Uh, the, the the job that we have to deliver every single episode right. more than anything else. Would you have been into it like that though if it had been pure entertainment versus a political satire which had real cathartic meaning for the country? I can't answer this question because a job is a job. I mean, I come from a medical background and you have to do your job. And, and when you do your job, you have to be perfect at it. You have to do the I mean, it's like you have a patient, you cut him open, you have to sew him back, and everything has to be perfect. Reading your book, I know you're not oblivious to what the show meant to the country. Mm -hmm. So I know that weighs some amount, and then the other amount is you're also a legitimate entertainer who's very good at this and, and has a passion for just entertaining. And we'll get to what I think, from your actions anyway, answers this question, but what would you say is sort of the ratio between what was driving you, even if it's only now looking back, like what percentage was this is important and what percentage was I want to be, just like I was a great surgeon, I want to be a great entertainer? No, I think it is not just being an entertainer, an entertainer because when everything ended, I was offered to go back on the airwaves and just to do late night show. Right. Uh, just, just get, just like, Go easy on the politics. Mm. Just do, just do like, uh, like a, a simple game and fun and. And this was actually the government that reached out. Yeah, yeah, out, they right? were like offering me like real offers. Like after I escaped, it was like, well, come back and we have everything. Big we money offers, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, oh my god, huge, 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 huge money. Like it's like money that I have never thought that I would even like have negotiated this amount of numbers but this is like government money right uh, and and but when i say government money i'm not talking about like shitty government money here it's like <laughs> talking about authoritarian money like they have absolutely no limits and uh, i was offered many times by many entities to come back and just like oh you know here's a game show oh do it mm. and this is like a, an x million um, number amount of money that you can do and i said i can't do this it has to mean something it, it so i i think like maybe i didn't think about it at that time, but I think that th this question was put to the test after mm. the show was taken away from me because I had more than one chance to go back and do the show as pure entertainment, and I didn't do it. So from the outside, and I, you're very humble, which I really, really respect, oh, but from the outside, one of the reasons that your story is so inspiring is it is ultimately a tale of courage of action even if internally all you felt was fear that's fine it's just the way that you actually behaved the way that you presented yourself is that sense of um, I hope if faced in similar circumstances I'd have the courage to make the same decisions and there's an awesome quote I don't remember who it's by but it says if ever faced with the choice of having to betray my country or betray my friend I hope I have the courage to betray my country mm -hmm. and 
that like really resonated with me watching you from again this I know this isn't how you see yourself but watching it and saying like whoa he's a a voice for the country he's a a a relief valve for them and even if it's just just cathartic laughter or if it's actually seeing a path out of this and looking at the how crazy the ideology is mm-hmm. it it really seems important and it suddenly made me stop taking for granted what we're able to do in our media yeah well i mean after all the good things that you said about me the nice things that you said you will find a lot of people in egypt that do not agree with you they hate my guts correct so uh the islamist thing that i am like the devil who uh, single-handedly destroyed the only democratic uh, ex- uh, experience that egypt had so that's one of the things that's actually interesting about your approach which was when you really pissed people off was when they realized you weren't just making fun of one group you were an equal opportunity offender and so when the next regime came into power you started making fun of them as well yeah but for them oh you didn't make fun of them we know <laughs> it, it was not the same joke not for, it's just like i mean it's just like come on it's like you will never win the, with these people because for them and you talked about ideology uh when you are blinded by ideology nothing else matters uh facts don't matter uh real news don't matter mm. numbers statistics don't matter That's why when everybody's like, oh, it's fake news, or whatever, like, how can we change those people so they can see? It's like, they won't see. I mean, do they think they, they, they all, like, I mean, it, they, people, a lot of my, and this is something I want to relate here, when I, what I've seen here in, in America. People have, like, always have this burning question, how can we make those people see the truth? Like, who told them that they don't see the truth? Mm. They see the truth. They choose not to accept it. They are blinded by that kind of ideology. They don't care. And even if you brought them like all of the sources, oh, these sources are flawed. These sources are biased. These sources have an agenda. So we will, we will choose not to look at them. And this is why when people say like, oh, how can like all of those political satirists, the, the, the Olivers, the, the, the Noahs, the, 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 the Colberts, the Sam B, wonderful people. But do you think these people watch them? Do you think these people believe them? Do you think like the more jokes that you make about them, it's risk? We're, ta- we're preaching for the, for the choir. Uh, and, and, and this is why when people say like, how can we reach to the other side and this comedy and satire is a good tool? I, I said, uh, no. And, I, and I'm, I'm pretty much blunt about this. Mm. No, they don't care. They will, they will, uh, they, they, if you put it, you, I mean, by numbers, what Obama did in the last eight years was phenomenal compared to Bush. And they still believe that Obama brought the country down. It doesn't matter. Number, numbers, facts, news don't matter. In Egypt, when, you, when they give you like a piece of crazy news and say like, what the, where the hell did you get this from? Did you get it from CNN? Did you get it from BBC? Did you get it from uh, France uh, 24? Did you have anything? No, 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 no. All of these Western, Western media are conspiring against us. That's it. Alienated. It doesn't matter. Mm. So it, 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 the, the whole, this fantasy, this like perfect scenario of reaching to the other side, it doesn't matter. It will not, it will not happen. Why do you think ideology trumps facts? because it's an ideology is part of you it is part of your of your thinking it's the same thing when if someone have a i mean look at what happened to galileo right that was an idea that was science and that was ideology and the guy was punished because he came up with science that went against the ideology all right and doesn't matter if this was a military ideology it's a conservative ideology if it was a a, a religious ideology and sometimes some like you know crazy liberal ideology kind of like don't want to listen to you i mean it's like it's i mean it's the disease is there on both sides because if you allow yourself to question that ideology with those facts your whole ideology could actually come down uh, come crumbling mm. down and this is why the most people who are very hard and and very adamant about like not having anything questioned the most conservative religious people, they, the, their, their first job is to stop questioning because if you start questioning this and that changes, then you're gonna question another thing and then question another thing and ideology is very rigid. 
It is not meant to be flexible, and it's just going to implode. So they, they, this ideology for them is everything for them. It's their identity. It's for their, their whole universe. And nobody wants their his universe to implode. You guys know I have a very strict diet that I stick to, except for very special occasions. And I do that so that I can bring my best every day to what I'm doing. And a big part of that strict diet is high-quality animal protein and my go-to source of trustworthy meats and seafoods with no added hormones or antibiotics ever is ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a premium meat subscription service that delivers 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood all directly to your door. I cannot recommend ButcherBox enough. When you eat ButcherBox, you are giving your body the best possible building blocks to work with so you can reach your full potential. You've got to take care of yourself at a cellular level if you want to hit your peak consistently. So ButcherBox is the key. Sign up at butcherbox.com impact and get our special deal. ButcherBox is off Offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. And that means you can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash impact and use code impact to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You will never be able to reach your full potential if you are riddled with stress and have a lot weighing on your mind. I can tell you from my own experiences with stress and negative thought loops, you have to find a way to work through whatever it is that's weighing on you if you're gonna have any hope of achieving your goals. Therapy can be an option for working through things and for an online therapy option that is super convenient and flexible, be sure to check out BetterHelp. With BetterHelp, everything is 100% online and getting started is quick and easy. A brief questionnaire matches you with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra charge. Get things off your chest, process through things with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash impact theory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash impact theory. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you want to have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. Do you think at all about that in your own life? Do you worry that you have an ideology that uh, you protect too much or do you actively try to keep it fresh? No. I change a lot. Things that I have, I thought that I knew, I thought I believed in, I thought that like I really knew for a fact for over 40 years of my life. My God, the changes that I have done. I think that we just like, we have to break free from so many things that's holding us back. And uh, I'm kind of like more of, I'm more accepting than ever. And do you have a process for breaking free from some of those things? Like what would you teach your kids about that? I would teach them to be open and I would teach them that the, the world is full of so many different things and you should like keep an open mind. I'm, I'm now like keeping an open mind. I mean, the things that I used to think about social norms, relationships, um, 
equalities of with for certain people and it's just like all of that that's changed dra dramatically for me and um i think we are whatever time that we have in this life we just we're here to learn and we're here to accept and um I, we were uh, <laughs> we're just like we're too uh, as humans we're too fragile we're what too do you mean by that we're too unimportant we are I mean, we're too fragile, too vulnerable, too unimportant. We have this ego that just like, we cover all of this with ego. We cover all of this with, uh, um, I mean, if you, even if you look to human history, all of these rituals and all of all the ideas about death and what will happen, all of that comes from ego. We think that we are so important in such a vast universe that we have to create stories for us to believe. And do you think that holds us back from absolutely. living a fulfilled life? Yeah, or? absolutely. Because like, who the hell are you to think that you are important? I mean, this whole planet can explode tomorrow. Even your own solar system wouldn't just like, like, wouldn't like wait to stop or... It wouldn't matter. I mean, like, and now, and now you have like the galaxies and like, we're, we're so small. You know, who the hell are we to think that we are we, we matter for anything? What do you what do you hope your kids take from your story? I I I think acceptance. So what in your story do you think is about acceptance? Uh, accepting the fact that I am continuously learning and continuously changing my mind and continuously flexible. I mean, even for the smallest things that I do on a daily basis. I live now here now in Los Angeles, and I live my life as a student. Mm. At the age of 43, I'm taking acting classes, improv classes, writing classes, and I'm always the oldest guy in the class. I'm double the age of anybody in the class. Mm. And, I'm not, uh, and I'm not shy. It's like, and, it's, it, 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 and I'm doing stuff that I never thought, me, the doctor, the surgeon, that I would be on that path for the rest of my life. And I've re reinvented myself three, four times in the last six years. And which is, I, I think it's a blessing. And I think your story is like that too. You, how many, you invented my, your, yourself, invented your career like three or four times also in a very, in a, in over, over a period of time. And so I, 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 I we, it's just like, I think like we are born into a society that just want to put you into molds. And it's like a struggle to continuously break those molds, which is very interesting, but very scary. Talk to me about that. So reinvention is amazing, and I love that that's your outlook. You went from being a surgeon to being a YouTube absurdly guy. famous. No, first of all, a YouTube guy, and then like a TV guy, then a bigger TV guy, then an outcast. <laughs> <laughs> then I come here now, and I'm, and I'm trying to build a career in a country where I, I have a, a, like English as a second language. Mm trying to get through audience who's not my primary audience and trying to do something that I was never had formal training in doing. Is it weird though going from, so fame is like lightning in a bottle and you had massive fame. You don't seem hung up on it got taken away from you, but it has to be at a minimum intriguing the difference between if I were in Egypt that I can't walk down the street without people mobbing me, taking photos, kissing my cheeks. And now I'm here in Los Angeles and most people don't know who you are. Yeah. It is very nice and very um, humbling. You prefer that or it's just useful? No, of, co of course, like, of course you prefer to be famous and successful and everything. But I, as you said, I, I um, and this, uh, this takes me back to a conversation that I had with John Stewart. And I told him like, I'm, I'm, I don't know what to do after everything was like mm. taken away. And he said, don't get hung on on that because what you have done is already being carved in history. You have to go move forward. And it doesn't have to be the same thing. What do you want the fame in the US to be for? I want to be uh, a different voice. I represent uh, a sub uh, type of a population which is uh, usually portrayed in a very negative way. Middle Easterners, and, I, uh, and I'm not even born here. So there's a lot of people from the Middle East who have been born here. Right. So they don't have the accent, they are like pretty much, you know, can pass for 
at least um, vocally for an American. Uh, I am, I am literally fresh off the boat, right. and uh, I'm trying to make it here, which is I think very unique. And uh, make me maybe to give a different voice, a different perspective of what's happening in the world and what's happening to people like me. Are you proud of what you did in yeah why back not? in Egypt? I am proud that we have created something that was never there. Most of anything. I mean, I'm not going to talk to you about like the patriotism or the uh, political activism, whatever. Like technically, as like uh, what we have done to entertainment has changed the landscape of entertainment. Before we came in, the only shows were there were like boring daily, nightly shows, talk shows that like the, the whole Egyptian television and most of Arab television was locked in 1980s. It's boring, it's horrible, it's redundant. What we did that we brought in high quality entertainment. We made everybody like, like follow it. And after, even after we left, the landscape of the, 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 the media there has changed. Talk to me a little bit about your mom, I think, and your decision to become a surgeon. Yeah, well, uh, in the Middle East, uh, you're only allowed to be a surgeon or a, an engineer. That's it. Anything else doesn't count. Like, the only thing that gives pride to most families, not all families, but like many families, is like uh, being a doctor, a dentist, an engineer. And uh, I didn't like math. So I went to medicine. <laughs> Fair enough. And all that same work ethic that you had to really do a great show, did you look at being a surgeon the same? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm a nerd. I have, you have to have high marks. You have to be in and you have to just like know your stuff. As a matter, so I brought, I brought medicine into the show. Uh, the long hours, the, the brutal uh, work, uh, um, style, it was, it was all medicine. I was like one of the first people to come in the morning and the last pe uh, person to leave at night. Did your parents teach you that work ethic or was that something that you picked up in medicine? I was not allowed to be anything but one of the top of the class, mm. even at school. So it just, or else they're going to be very disappointed. So Nobody wants to disappoint their, their parents, so I just like carried that nerdy lifestyle all through my life. How did you deal with that as the show's getting bigger and obviously it starts to become an issue, right, for your family? How did you deal with that tension? Well, uh, my, my dad was pretty cool. As long as he had free tickets to the show, he didn't care. Uh, for him and his family, friends, so he can like brag about it. Uh, my mom was uh, a different case. My mom, uh, what her relation with me is defined by one thing, that she is constantly worried about me. Mm. That's it. She's worried about story, me. Yeah. She's, it doesn't matter if you're successful, I'm worried that you're not married. It doesn't matter if you marry, I'm worried that you don't have kids. It doesn't ma matter anything. It just, she, she, Constant worry the whole time. And uh, when I did my show, she never, I never actually saw her 100% elated mm. or happy because of the show just doing well. It's like, oh, but I'm worried about you. I'm worried of that, what will happen to you. Always. Because we were, I was there just like heading butts mm. with the authority all the time. And that was like a constant issue for her. Um, there is three stages of the show. First, when the right after the revolution, when the military took over for an interim period. Then the second was the Islamists took over, and the third when the military took it back. And with the Islamists, she was happy but worried. With the military part, she was furious mm. because uh, the military is untouchable. You can't make fun of the military. The military for many Egyptians is even more sacred and more holy than, than religion itself. And it's like, oh, how can you make fun of it? And it, 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 it really caused tension between, uh, between us. It, just, it defined the relationship all through the time that I was having my show on the air. What do you think are the similarities between what's happened in Egypt and what's going on in the political climate here in the U.S.? 
I, I can't say similarity, but it just yeah, there are certain scenes that, especially when you see the Trump supporters, the whole idea of the right-wing conservative movement, the narrative is pretty much similar to what I've seen in the right-wing conservative movement in Egypt, which mm -hmm. is the military and the Islam, Islamic movement. The whole idea of about creating an enemy, creating a distraction, creating fear, making everybody afraid, and because they're afraid, I can push my agenda, and, and because of that, it's fine to take away somebody uh, else's liberties or somebody's rights, and, and it is, it's the whole thing. It's the, it's the oldest trick in the book. Create an enemy, make everybody afraid, and just like push your agenda. Uh, the whole idea about fear of, from the other. Uh, here you create the enemy of the Mexicans, the Muslims, the refugees. There it is everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> and why is fear so powerful? This was something that really distressed me reading Revolution for Dummies, was the idea of just how effective it was to use fear and how easy it was to get people to behave essentially and fall in line behind a radical government but they were using fear to keep people in line. Security comes in the, the, the priority, number one priority of people's need even before food. If you play with that concept of people's minds, they're mush in your hands. You can do whatever you want. Mm. And because if you have no security, the whole other thing, so you can have famine, you cannot have food, but you can have food, but no security, so it's gonna be gone. So fear is the number one motivation. It is, uh, it's a magic weapon. Look at all the wars, all the tensions that happen in human history. It is based on, but like those people are coming to kill us, we have to kill them first. Is there anything that you've ever seen that can be used to combat that? Like, what do you think, if there is one, is sort of the secret weapon to hold that at bay? Well, I, I will say satire is a great weapon because, like, if you are, if you are, uh, if you're laughing, you're not afraid anymore. But you have to do that in a climate that allows that. Mm. So, when uh, under the Islamists, the Islamists were not powerful enough to stop my show. So I could make fun of that and that kind of holy image of like the very pious religious man was just like being ridiculed. The military, I continued doing that for a while and I was starting to actually like take punches against them and they were just like too fast to take me off the air. And this is why in any dictatorship you will never find satire. There's comedy and satire but it is directed towards the people. <laughs> Like, oh, let's, talk, let's make fun of ourselves, about our social behaviors. Let's make fun of the traffic, about marriage, about divorce, about the bureaucracy, about how bad we are as human beings, mm. but never up there. Yeah, that's uh, watching the documentary, reading the book, and really looking at sort of the human nature elements that they spoke to was deeply distressing. Um, is there anything in everything that you went through about human nature? Like, what was the thing about human nature that scared you the most? What was the thing about human nature that you found the most beautiful and inspiring? What scared me the most is like how people can just like flip overnight. Mm. And I had family members. I had people that went with me to school. People that I have known for 20, 25 years. And who, be, who because I said something that would threaten their ideology, believed the most hideous gossip about me. I mean, there were, there were people who really believed that I, uh, I was an, a secret operative, that I have a secret agenda, that I'm being paid by the American government to bring down the country. It is ridiculous. And what was the most beautiful thing that you saw in all of this? Uh, the resilience of some people. There are people back in Egypt uh, amazing political activists who were jailed, had their loved one jailed, tortured, and they still, I mean, you, you, we sit here and talk about how brave and how courageous I am. That means, that, that, that's, that is dwarfed by those people back there who are stuck, who couldn't do, who couldn't get out, who have their family in jail because of something they said, mm. or because of Facebook posts, or because of position, a political position. And this is, it is, it is not beautiful, it is admirable, it is um, impressive, it is, uh, it is worthy of all of the wonderful compliments that you have been pouring on me the whole time here, and much more. They are the real heroes. I was just like a guy who was telling, telling jokes and I had to leave because of that. But these are the people who are suffering. 
what made you, when the warrant for your arrest came out, and the arrest warrant essentially came out because you wore the big hat to mock um, mm -hmm. the then president, and when you were, you turned yourself in, and when you turned yourself in, you wore that hat again, um, what gave you the guts to do that? Uh, well, uh, what I, I decided to take that hat and go to the uh, to my interrogation, and people like, oh, "Are you crazy?" It's like, "Oh, you know, you're just like they, this is what you get when you mess with a Joker, <laughs> you get made fun of." And uh, it was just like, I was just like I, I, there's two way, uh, ways out of this. Either I'm gonna get out, I'm gonna be arrested, and this me doing the hat will do nothing but just make them feel like look worse. Mm. So it's my mission to make them look worse, and. Um, uh, it was just, uh, it was just like my way to tell them like F you basically. And it worked. It worked. All right, so um, because sadly we're running out of time, let's talk about your mission to, um, are, do you want to create a company around launching vegan foods? Like what's the driving force? I, I, am, I am more of like uh, creating a movement. I'm a big believer that like whatever we are, what we have thought that is healthy food is actually making us sick. Uh, I'm not going around people like you have to be vegan, you have to be vegan. I don't do that. Uh, of course, there's like amazing benefits of this about like saving the planet and like being good to other creatures. But I am really concerned about changing people's behavior because I don't think that we are made to 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 even even if you're if you decide that you're not going to be vegan, but like, I don't think that we should consume that amount of dairy and meat that much. This is like, uh, our, our consumption has increased dramatically in the past hundred years. And then we was like, oh, where did this all like chronic diseases are coming from? This spike, this increase of, of the chronic disease have to come from somewhere. And I just want to like, educate uh, people in Arabic and in English about what the, their food choices and I'm, I'm not the first one to do this mm. they're like they are the, the amazing people who've done like uh, force over knives conspiracy what the health uh, 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 food Inc all of these people uh, this is something that has already been done before but I want to make it more mainstream and are you and, pushing and, a show around this or do you actually want to create a food company? I want to start I want to start first with a digital show uh, in Arabic and in English to, so I can speak, so like the two sides of the world that they wouldn't think they have anything in common, mm. they're, you guys are eating the same thing and you're dying with the same shit. So, uh, and, uh, and then I want to create like kind of a brand in order to guide people how to deal with their illness and their diseases. And hopefully when people see people in their households getting better, and getting rid of things like Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, we think, oh my God, I have to, I mean, this is like diseases that actually created because of the food choices. But you go to the doctor and they give you steroids. Mm. I don't understand. Are you following the whole functional medicine movement, for no. lack of a better word? No. It's interesting, I'd be really curious with your history as a surgeon to see what you think about it. Basically, they're saying very much the same things. Like, it's not genetics are not causing this problem, this is yeah. a problem of diet lifestyle in general oh, yeah. and until we address that like if you have Crohn's disease or something like that and you go and you're taking steroids you're masking the symptom not the cause and actually getting to root cause looking at the human body as a, a super organism in a, in essence yeah I mean, I mean the whole idea about like blaming genetics on it it's just like the easy way just like to kind of like uh, put the guilt on something else you see for example first generation Japanese or Chinese right they are pretty much loyal to the kind of food that they are eating. So they stay slim. Right. Now look at the second, third generation, they're getting fatter, they're getting thicker. They're having more propensity to get like uh, uh, diabetes or any of the other chronic disease. So how, so suddenly genetics change because you came here? Mm. It's because what you put in your mouth. So I'm a big believer of that. and. Uh, and I'm sure it's like a lot of backlash, a back of pushover. But like at the end of the day, you have the big pharma and the food industry. They spend so much money lobbying in the Congress in order to make pizza classified as vegetables or French fries as vegetables. And th this is the stuff that you're giving to your kids. And this is why like and this is like a very I'm sure that everybody would like a circle of people who have kids. Now they have the same thing. It's like, oh, my my daughter or my son is seven years old and he's already allergic to half of the things of, in, 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 in our kitchen, right? Mm. 
Where did these food allergies come from? You have, you have altered their immune system by what you're giving them as food, mm. thinking it's healthy. Agreed. All right, where can these guys find you online? Uh, all right, uh, Twitter is at B Yusuf, Instagram, Basim Yusuf, and uh, I'm launching on my website soon that will get, and of course, Basim Yusuf has Facebook, and uh, I'm doing a website soon that will do everything, it's called basimyusuf.net, so. Uh. All right, my final question. Yes. What's the impact that you want to have on the world? The impact that I want to have of the world, that I would like to have people laughing at their problems instead of killing themselves because of it. It's a pretty damn good answer. <laughs> yes. Basim, thank you so thank much you for coming on. Thank you so what much. What a pleasure. Guys, you're going to love digging deep into his world. It is really astonishing. Absolutely go watch the documentary, Tickling Giants, read the book, Revolution 99 cents on iTunes right now, documentary. It's a sale, 99 cents. It's number four now on iTunes. Go get it. It is absolutely fantastic. And to have gone through what he's gone through and to now get a chance to watch him and see what he does now that he's here in the US to see how he reinvents himself, which is absolutely astonishing. And just getting to go on that journey with him and ask yourself the questions along the way, where would you tap out? And I do fear that I would have tapped out a long time before he did, which is why, while I fully understand that there's always a hero that's done even more, it was an astonishing story. And it was very inspiring to me to see somebody stand by their guns. If he'd been just about the entertainment, he would have taken the money, and it sounds like he was offered a lot of money. But he didn't, and he's here now. He's a student again, starting from scratch, going from insanely famous to back at the ground floor without a loss of step, without losing that sparkle in his eye, without the amazing or loss of amazing ideas that he's had all throughout his career and the willingness to pursue them and chase him forward. So I am very eager to see what he does from this point forward. So go and do as I have done, my friends, and subscribe to all his social feeds. Keep an eye on this man's absolutely fascinating. I should come here every day. This is amazing. This is like this is invitation. like this is like an ego boost. Like amazing, man. All right, guys. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Thank you, Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for watching. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And for exclusive content, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. All of that stuff helps us get even more amazing guests on the show and helps us continue to build this community, which at the end of the day is all we care about. So thank you guys so much for being a part of the Impact Theory community.